Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I would say this, if you're here and you know somebody right now that they need to be forgiven, you need to call them and let them know or you need to sit down and let them know if there's someone that needs your forgiveness, give it up, give it to them. Think of how much you've received. Think of how much forgiveness God has given you. You need to do that. You need to let people off the hook. You don't want to hold people to that. They're in bondage to you that you're harder than Jesus. They can get right with Jesus, but they can't get right with you. Um, But you represent him. Careful. You can't live the blessed life God wants for you if you don't trust him to guide you through it. He told Israel to take every seventh year off of farming the land so it and the people could rest. As impossible as it seemed to follow his command and not starve, he promised he would provide their needs. Pastor Bill is going to show you that it's still the same for you today with the commands of Jesus in the New Testament, like tithing, taking the Sabbath day off for rest, and forgiving anyone who wronged you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 25 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Just imagine that at our church, just our church, just our little group of folks. Next Sunday, everybody at our church, all your debts are forgiven. Some of y'all, you wouldn't get home before you went and got some more debt. You know, you'll be right back. Up. Oh, you'd be checking your credit rating on the way out the door. But I mean, imagine the elation, for, especially for those that are in great bondage, have great debt. The freedom and the liberty of just it's all they ain't going to call me no more. They're not going to be calling you. You're not going to be a check your cell phone for them funny numbers. You know, um, you just be free of all debt. It'd be a great relief. Um, it'd just be, you know, man, we're delivered. Whew, you know, the Lord took it all away. Praise God for the Jubilee, you know. And God established that for Israel. Again, this is the idea. There was a community there. And God said it's a bigger deal for him that as a community, we'll all be debt free. Every 50 years, we hit a reset button. No debt. And if that means that you release someone of their debt, that you have their land, but you got to give it back, then if it costs you to give him back his land for everybody to go out of debt, then that's what it's going to be. And here is, I believe, a spiritual lesson in that, because in a sense, we can hold people. There may be people in this room right now that somebody owe you something. There might be money. Um, There might be something else that you're hanging over someone's head that you haven't released them. You haven't let them off the hook for it. And people live under bondage many times to that. Um, There are people that just live under bondage to the fact that you haven't forgiven them or that, you know, it may be that you hold them accountable for it. You call them on it or you're on them about it or whatever. Or it may just be that, you know, something you haven't forgiven someone. So they know they're unforgiven. They know it because you don't talk to them. They know it because you don't answer their calls. They know it because you don't engage them. You don't interact with them. They know that they're unforgiven by you and they live under that. Anybody here that's ever wanted to be forgiven, that received forgiveness, knows that it's a great feeling to know that someone's outcome, I'm forgiven. Whatever was there is gone. You know, it's been, I've been relieved of whatever it was. If you've ever been forgiven a debt, you know, that's a great feeling. In the past, I've owed things and then had, you know, someone say, hey, just don't worry about it. For real? I mean, like, really don't worry about it or don't worry about it. Like, don't ever come see me again. Like, wait, don't worry about it. I've been forgiven debt before. And that's a great feeling because, you know, until you you know you got to pay it, it's on top of you. Like trying to scratch up coins and pennies and nickels and dimes to pay it and it's gone. Um, But even more forgiveness and something that God does for you and me. Right. If you understand God rightly, we're never living under his heaviness. We all understand, I believe 
that we can be forgiven by the Lord. Uh, we know he died for us. We know he loves us. We know if we repent, we know if we confess that he'll forgive. We know we can come to him and be forgiven and released. Most of us know that. And so God keeps us in this position where we can be right with him whenever we want. We can be cleansed when we want. We're as close to the Lord as we want to be because he's not holding us back. He's ready to release you. He's ready to forgive you. That's his position of his heart for you and for me is that I'm ready to forgive you and receive you whenever you come. The prodigal son, right? As soon as the father saw the son coming down the road, what did he do? So he ran out, fell on his neck, kissed him and just received it was immediate. The image you get, because that father is the image of our heavenly father, is that he was waiting for the son to come back to go receive him and forgive him. The son was walking down the road, getting his pre-planned speech together. You know, I'm going to tell him, father, I'm not, you know, worried to be called your son. Just let me, just give me a job. Let me be like one of the hired servants. He had his little speech plan. Dad said, man, shut up with all that. And you get in here and he put a new robe and new shoes and put the ring back on his hand and killed the fatted calf and threw a big party and celebrated the fact that he came to a census and he's coming back home. And that's the image of our Heavenly Father. He was ready to forgive, ready to receive. So we have to ask ourselves, right? Are you ready to forgive? Are you ready to release people? And I would say this, if you're here and you know somebody right now that they need to be forgiven, you need to call them and let them know, or you need to sit down and let them know if there's someone that needs your forgiveness, give it up, give it to them. Think of how much you've received. Think of how much forgiveness God has given you. You need to do that. You need to let people off the hook. You don't want to hold people to that. They're in bondage to you that you're harder than Jesus. They can get right with Jesus, but they can't get right with you. Um, but you represent him. Careful. We want to make sure that if you got people that need to be forgiven, um, you want to release people. You want to release them, forgive them. Um, now, I'll say this. Forgiveness don't mean if somebody stole money out your house, that don't mean they get to come back in your house, you know? Forgiveness doesn't mean I'm setting up myself to go through it all over again. Uh, forgiveness means that, you know what? I don't hold that against you anymore. I forgive you. Um, I release you, you know? But forgiveness don't mean, you know, okay, well, then I'll be over tomorrow. <laughs> you know, that's not what forgiveness means. So forgiveness just means I'm releasing you of whatever debt it was. So I just want to say that, that... Little disclaimer, you ain't got to go back to the old guy, the old girl. Well, pastor said forgive him, so I ain't setting nobody up for that. You forgive him, and some of y'all need to forgive at a distance. Um, some of y'all need to forgive in silence, but there are people that we know that we're hurting them with our unforgiveness. That's what I'm talking about. You need to let those people know, hey, just so you I forgive you, we're good. I love you and let it go. And um, I've had that in my life. Um, it's kind of strange as a pastor you know, I love the sheep. I love the people. When I did youth ministry, um, I love those kids and I care for them. And so in all the years I did youth ministry, I had a couple of times where somebody on the team violated. And for me, a violation at that point was you got high school girls and I'm protecting them girls. And I had one instance, well, two instances where one of the guys serving um, decided to try to start something with one of these young girls. And the first instance of it, um, we were setting up sound and I just saw a behavior. I saw just, it was a look. And I was like, nah, nah, nah. I just saw, I, saw, I know the look. And so I first went straight and I grabbed him. I said, hey, come here. Is there anything happening with, do you like her? Is something going on? No, 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 I don't know. Okay. Then I just left him in there. I went and grabbed her. I said, come here. I said, is there anything happening there? She said, yeah. I said, what's happening? Well, we talked and he had texted me and I said, cool. And I went back and got him. And I didn't punch him, but just 
shy. I wasn't going to sock the guy, but that's how I was angry. I felt betrayed and I felt like, man, this happened under my nose. I was hot. I was, it was a hot anger. And so I spoke probably very roughly to the guy. You know, I put him out, get out. Don't ever, I'll never see you in here around these kids. Never, never, never again. Ever, never, 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 never. And I, and I did not reach out to him for restoration, for healing, for to minister to him. And it was like, you messed up, you get out. Years went by and I would see him. And he would see me and he would just, you know, go away. And um, years went by like that. And once time, the Lord said, you need to go and sit down with him. And it felt really bad afterwards because I called him up, said, I want to sit down with you, talk to you. And when I sat down with him, I mean, he's crying. He's gotten right with the Lord and he's dealt with it and he's married, but he just wanted to be forgiven. And I realized that I had kind of held that because um, I was angry. And that was a lesson there. Guys, you can't do that. You got to forgive people. It may have felt justified, but it wasn't really justified. Uh, I can say you can't be here anymore. Love you. God bless you. Stay far away from high school girls and, you know, pray for you, you know, but I didn't do that. I let it be known. I didn't appreciate what he did and I don't like him. And so God dealt with that. And so once again, this year of Jubilee was for the community of Israel. You know, you're going to be forgiven by your brother. You owe debt to your brother, but he's going to release you of the debt in that year because God said so. And so in a sense, God was doing that. Now, this is interesting. I read several commentaries on this and I looked into the manners and the customs and several of the commentators that I read on this suggested that it's possible that Israel never even obeyed this command to practice a year of Jubilee. That there isn't any evidence that they did this. Just like they went 490 years not observing the land Sabbath, it's possible that they didn't observe this either because they're in the records and in the history and all the ways that you would go back and check rather or not this was taking place. It's very hard to find anything that would suggest that every 50 years, everybody went debt free. And so though God had established this to be a blessing and to be a time of liberation and freedom and celebration, I can't say one way or the other, but they've been clearly disobedient in the Sabbath land rule. And it seems as though they may also have not observed this. And so I would just say to us, you know, that as we look at Israel and Corinthians, we're told, how come God recorded all of these errors in such detail for us? How can we have an account of God giving Israel command to give the land Sabbath, them not observing it for 490 years and then them going into captivity and God getting his 70 years back? Like, how come God recorded all that? You know what Corinthians says? These things are written for your admonition, for your learning, that we're supposed to learn from their mistakes. So I don't read Israel's mistakes and say, man, they were dumb. But them Israelites are something else. You know, I got to read this and say, man, like this is for my learning. Is there any area, Lord, where I'm holding back? Is there any area where I'm not releasing, where I'm not forgiving? Is there any area in my life where you've commanded me and I'm not? Uh, there any area of consistent disobedience in my life? I need to learn from them that I wouldn't follow suit. This trend that they did, um, that it wouldn't be my trend. And so just something for us to consider. Another thing uh, before we move on to the next section, you know, as God was establishing Israel, they were to be a community in their forgiveness and all the things that God was commanding them. They were doing this together. One reason why is because God was saying, I'm sending you guys into lands 
where you're going to be going in to take land from people that were enemies, are enemies. You won't always be in surroundings and environments where everybody loves them, likes them. They're going to be around non-believers. Many times when Israel would get into lands, they would fall victim. They would fall into worshiping the other people's gods. And God was trying to make them a tight community. You know, there's something powerful when someone forgive you, release you of a debt, give to you or whatever. This is going to be good for the community of Israel that you guys are loving each other and ministering to it. You're doing for each other what the world would never do for you guys. And God was wanting to establish that. And I just thought of this as we were looking at this earlier, that in the same way within the church, um, there are people that feel like, you know, I just got my own relationship with the Lord. I don't need the community of church. I don't need to be part of a regular gathering of believers, but you do. Every Christian needs to have. Now, the church of Jesus Christ is worldwide. Everybody that believes is a part of it. But every believer should be part of a local assembly, a gathering of believers. Um, we all need that. It's something that God requires that there be a local expression of the body of Christ, that we be a part of it for many reasons. Uh, one is this. The Bible says that there's one body, but there's many members. And everybody here, your body has many members. You got eyeballs, ears, you know, mouth, tongue, nose, feet, hands, everything else. And any part of your body, if you take your foot and a foot connected to a leg, connected to a body is a good thing. And that's how you're going to get around, get what you got going. But if you get a foot separated from a body in a jar, how you feel about that? That's weird, a little nasty, um, absolutely ineffective. It can't do anything for the body. It's disconnected. You want your foot connected to your leg, which is connected to a body that's alive. That's a foot that can be effective. So whatever part you play in the body, you need to be connected to the body. Otherwise, you're not benefiting from the body and the body's sure not benefiting from you. And so everybody hears something. You're some part. You might be a mouth, an ear, a nose, a foot, a toe. You know, you might be several parts, but if you chop it off from the body and sit it off in a jar somewhere um, for people to look at and observe, that's not real helpful to the purpose of Christ. So um, we do need to be connected and part of the body. Amen. So stay connected. So moving on now, verse 18, um, read 18 through 22. It says, so you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them and you will dwell in the land in safety. And I just want to point out, if you guys do what I tell you to do, you'll dwell in the land in safety. You'll be able to chill. You'll be able to relax. If you obey me, I'll take care of all the enemies that might come. I'll take care of the battles that might ensue. You'll be able to dwell in safety. Moving on, verse 19 says, then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. Second promise. First, you'll dwell in safety. He just reiterated that you'll dwell in safety, but he also said, now you'll eat your fill. The land will yield its produce because I will make sure that it does, and you will eat to your full. Verse 20, and if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year since we shall not sow nor gather our produce, then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest. So, because God knows questions are coming up. God said, if you guys begin to say, well, what are we going to do? If we can't, you know, work the seventh year, because we work this year for the food on the eighth year. So if we don't harvest this year. How are we going to eat for those years in between? 
God said, don't worry, I got you covered here. He says, when you say, what are we going to eat in the seventh year? He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to command my blessing on you in the sixth year. I just got to point out, God said, I'm going to command my blessing on you in the sixth year. God said, I'm going to make sure in the sixth year, the year before you observe the Sabbath, I'm going to make sure that plenty happens, plenty comes, that you harvest plenty in that sixth year to carry you through until you're able to harvest the land again and start the whole produce over. And then as you're in that first year, that eighth year where you come off the Sabbath and everything's gone and you got to work that eighth year, God says, then you're going to eat the old harvest. That means there'll be enough that come through in that sixth year that come the eighth year when you're finally able to work out, there'll be enough left then to carry you through that year. And I just would say this, if you're not able to harvest the land for that year, that was how most of those people made a living. Most of those people worked and how they ate. And so imagine that every seventh year, God said, take the seventh year off. Just don't work. Take the seventh year. Y'all, you guys just kick back. I mean, God was saying, I want you to not work at all. Some of us say we'd be like, yes, you know, my, can God reinstate this now? You know, and I'll just trust him to give me everything I need. I mean, what a blessing, right? That in that seventh year, God said, I don't want you to do anything. I want the land to rest. If your work was working the land and the land resting, what you doing? Uh, right? What are you doing? You get to relax a little bit too. You get to feed on his faithfulness in that time. So I read this and I think, man, this looks like a great deal. How come they didn't take God up on it? How come they didn't take him up on it? How come they didn't let God do this for him? God has given them all these promises. I'm going to command blessing. I'm going to make sure you have enough. I'm going to make sure that sixth year is a bumper crop. You're going to have so much that it'll take you over into the eighth year when you finally get the harvest again. But they didn't take him up on this in a regular way. And so I read this and I wonder if there are things that God desires to do for us that we're not taking him up on his promises in our life. And one such thing. I just will bring this up because it's a challenge for a lot of people. For New Testament believers, it's a challenge many times for people, the area of giving. And I believe it's a challenge because it's abused. You know, there are whole movements that abuse the idea of giving and what you're to give at church. And people give everything they got. And the guy is driving a Bentley and flying jets and everything else. I know that happens. And so people get turned off. But there's segments of the body where there are people that they know you know I'm supposed to give to the work. I know I'm supposed to participate in this process, but they don't consistently, regularly. And it's an area where God told the Israelites, says, you know, as you guys are faithful in this, see if I don't bless you. He told them, Malachi, see if I don't open up windows of heaven and pour out blessings that you won't have room enough to receive it. He told them that then the New Testament doesn't say the same thing, but he says something very similar. Says, you know, as you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. He says that. I don't believe that we're to give to get that that's the motivation. But just like them, giving was going to be something they did in trust. God, I'm going to not work a whole year. I'm going to have to trust you for that year. Uh, I'm going to release them of their debt in the 50th year. I'm going to have to trust you for my financial situation. I'm going to have to trust that you got this covered. Lord, I'm going to give to the church, but my ends are not meeting. I wonder for some people if that's why their ends aren't meeting. Because they've taken everything they have and they won't do anything by faith. And I want to point this out as we come to the end of this. Everything God required of them would have required faith. Take faith to take a year off. Anybody here working and many of us working, we're paycheck to paycheck. So a year off sounds crazy. That sounds like where are we going to live, Lord? <laughs> what are we going to eat? <laughs> what are them kids going to wear? You know, it seems like, man, it would just take a whole lot of faith 
that God, you're going to have this covered. We barely making it working every day. I have no idea how we're going to make it taking a year off, you know, for them back then. Lord, I have no idea how we're going to make it taking the seventh day off. Everybody else get to work seven days. You looking at your worldly neighbors. They working on that day. They working on the Sabbath and they got that nice cherry. They got that cherry with the nice wheels and the comfy seats and we ain't even got one. We on donkeys or public transportation or whatever. This could really chide you where I don't see how that's going to happen. By faith, you know, trust the Lord. Same thing with our giving. Many times it'll just be something we do in obedience by faith. That won't be something you see. You won't always see. Well, I know if I do this and I can figure it all out, something you're going to do by faith. And there may be many other areas of our lives where God is challenging us to exercise faith and obedience that we might enjoy his blessing in a greater way. If nothing else, you guys, that we might please him in a greater way. Hebrews 11, 6 says it without faith, it's impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God, it's impossible to please me. You want to please me? It's going to take faith. I'm going to put you in scenarios where you're going to do what you can't even see how it's going to work out. But because I said so, you're going to do it. And that faith, God said, that pleases me. I'm going to close with this. I was talking to my daughter who's gone to a mission trip right now to Hungary. And we had a conversation uh, before she left about this last year. And for you guys that know my family, we'll close. this last year for us has been a crazy year. Uh, we moved. We lived in a hotel. We, you know, we all these different things was going on. And um, in the midst of all that, God did a lot of really awesome things. He just showed himself. Over and over and over again. I wouldn't go back and undo it. Um, I'm not looking forward to doing it again anytime soon. But, um, you know, <laughs> I will say I mean, he, he just showed himself over and over again. And if I would look at the things that were most challenging, the things that looked like, man, this is the biggest step. This is the scariest step. Well, every one of those required God to show up in greater fashion. And he did. And I wonder sometimes if we don't experience God's move in our lives in a greater way because we don't give him any space to move. We don't obey the calling of the steps of faith that God calls us to. So we can live our life, you guys, so carefully that, you know, I only do what I can see. I don't think that will work out. So I'm not taking that step. I feel like God's nudging me to do this, but I was going to do it. But as I start looking at it, crunching numbers, I don't see how that works. I'm not going to do it. And I step back over here and you can live your life. So over here, and you're reading your Bible about God moving and doing miracles and showing up and all these miraculous, amazing things. And you're like, I ain't never seen that. I read it. I heard you said it. And you'll start to stop believing because you never experience God's move, God's hand. But I guarantee you this. I guarantee you operate in biblical faith. And this is biblical faith. This is not some cockamamie faith where you dream up some cockamamie thing that you want and call it faith as you go after it. I'm not talking about that. Faith in God, and it's only faith in God if it's his word. So if God tells you to do something, now it's faith to go do it. If you lay up in your bed and say, man, I really would like to have a Bentley, and I'm going to just believe God for one and go get one. That's not faith. That's what some of these guys will tell you is faith. That's not faith. That's how you would end up in debt, and you'd be in all kind of trouble. Faith is God calling us to do things, and we're like, God, there's no way I could do that. Sometimes that's almost how you know it's the Lord. God calling you to do what you cannot do. And you're like, but God, I can't do that. That's why that's right there. I'm calling you to do that right there. And you just in faith and obedience, you go. 
And that's when you're going to experience him and see him move and see God working your life in ways that you just wouldn't see otherwise. And so I read my Bible. I know that the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today and what? Forever. He haven't changed. So when I read about these people hearing God moving miraculously, showing up, doing things, I'm like, what were they doing when he moved, showed up? They were operating in faith and God liked it. It blessed him. It pleased him. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Leviticus is full of relevant content that can still be applied to us today. Yes, even the Old Testament book that seems to just be full of rules and regulations. It's full of the grace of God. No matter how many times the Israelites seem to misunderstand or misjudge God, He still forgave them. He still gave them chance after chance and gave them what they needed. How many times in your life can you see that God has done the same for you? He gives grace even when we make mistakes. He gives grace even when we don't deserve it. He gives us chance after chance after chance. There is no one else like him. If you're struggling with your own mistakes and are having a hard time accepting the grace of God, we'd love to connect and pray for you. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that number is 310-245-4811. And if you're ever in the Inglewood area, we want to meet you in person. Our service times are on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online too. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website was CalvaryInglewood.org. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus, and you won't want to miss it. Learn more next time right here on A Transforming Word.